Hello and welcome to the Gridiron Show. It's our week 16 review as we are just one week away from getting into the NFL playoffs and the picture is becoming clearer and clearer. So whether you're driving home for Christmas, getting some last minute shopping done or just avoiding the family for an hour on Christmas Day by listening to podcasts locked away and playing with your new toys, let us take you through the week 16 action in the AFC and the NFC and take a look at what it means for January. Matt Sherry will join me, Ollie as well, as we break it down into the two conferences. This is The Gridiron Show. Hello and welcome to The Gridiron Show. Will Gavin and I'm splitting the podcast in two halves this week because it's Christmas Eve. And we're having to record it in a slightly different way. It's right now 4.35 in the morning, and I'm joined by, I'm sure, an absolutely elated Ollie Hunter to talk about the NFC side of things after week 16. Morning, Ollie. Morning. I did a little jig as uh, as the full-time Hooter went. Is there a Hooter? I think so. There's a Hooter went in Minneapolis. Green Bay, NFC North, champions, champions, champions. Sorry. <laughs> as I say, I'm really sure, not sure it is a Hooter when they're losing. I don't know if they blow the big horn when they lose. I don't know. I think they just skul- yeah. skulk off or skulk off into the night uh, and uh, try and avoid any further conversation of the evening. Uh, yeah, the, the Green Bay Packers winning 23-10 to 10 over the Minnesota Vikings. As I say, we're splitting the podcast in half, so Matt Sherry will join me later to talk about the AFC side of things. But we're going to start off with the NFC, and we should probably start off with this Monday night football win. Uh, a dominant overall performance from Green Bay, particularly on defence, where they had five sacks of Kirk Cousins on the night. Kirk Cousins only having 122 yards, an average of 3.9 yards per play. A quarterback rating well sub of 60. He had an awful day. Their, their offence in general, uh, the stat that they rolled out at the end of the game... The Vikings had seven first downs in total tonight, which is the lowest at home for the franchise since 1971. Should give you some kind of idea of how this game was going. And yet they led at halftime 10 to 9 because the Packers, a combination of turnovers, uh, a bad Rodgers interception, uh, a, uh, a couple of fumbles as well, and the fact that Rodgers when they did have the chance at the end of the half to take the lead, uh, completely threw it behind Devontae Adams. Simon Clancy, being the Rogers, uh, Rogers apologist he is, tried to say that Adams should have caught it, but it was a dreadful, dreadful throw. Even our good friend Rob Demosky was saying so on Twitter. And then they came out on the second half, and the offense just clicked. The Vikings looked tired. There was nothing they could do about it. couple of touchdown drives, bish, bash, bosh. Simple Packers win in the end. Yeah, the time of possession at one point was 30 minutes to 15 minutes so the dub- double the amount of time the um the vikings defense was on the field than the packers defense and then that showed up in the- massively in that last quarter because um the-, the packers defense just started making absolute hay the the offense did just about enough aaron jones was fantastic over 150 yards from scrimmage t- touchdowns the longest rushing play of the year 56 yarder um down the left hand touchline not even it was barely touched really it was a brilliant run um to put the icing on the cake uh, but green bay had already had already scored um to go 17 to 10 up and mason crosby inexplic- inexplicably missed the extra point but it didn't matter uh, the, the pass you're talking about um yeah, he he should have led his receiver. It was a weird one. I don't understand why he threw it behind him. You lead your receiver out to the post that way. You throw the ball post-wise. Um, it, the ricochet could have gone anywhere. It could have, put, it could have genuine, popped into Genuine risk of interception. Hand. Yeah, genuine, genuine risk yeah. of interception by going to that pass. That's why I say it was an awful pass. You know, plenty of quarterbacks throw it behind a player, and, and that's just part of the game. But to throw it behind them and put yourself in much more risk when it's on third and goal just seems like... And absolutely, I think it was actually first in goal because it was because uh, it was right at the end of the half, and then they only had time to kick the field goal uh, at the end of that. Look, I, I think we'll. Go, I'll, I'll ask you about the Packers' performance overall in a moment. I'm just going to have my say on the Minnesota Vikings. Over the last oh, yeah. five years, they have spent... And a lot of focus will be on Kirk Cousins in this game, and he didn't have a good game. The offensive line was dreadful, never gave him any real time. Again, I'll let you talk about the quality of the pass rush. Um, lots of drops, 
big drops for the likes of Adam Thielen had a really big drop in this game. Uh, the, the third string tight end, uh, BC Johnson, had a couple of big drops in this game. That didn't help him in any way, shape or form. The lack of run game without Dalvin Cook was a big problem. But for me, the bigger problem was this defense couldn't... S- Devontae Adams had 13 receptions for 116 yards. He was the only real target in this game. I know Alan Lazard had five catches as well on top of that. But realistically, you know the ball is going to Devontae Adams on at least half of the uh, uh, of the plays through the air. And yet, they just couldn't do anything about it. It's a defence they've spent vast sums of money on, that have played together for a lot of years, that have had big contracts thrown at them, that have good players out there, and yet on the big stage, they aren't performing either. You know, they're now 6-1 and one at home, Minnesota, and... Yes, they're still in the playoffs and we might have a really tasty, there's a couple of tasty potential options for who they would face come uh, wildcard weekend. But I just feel like this this Vikings team are destined to be a nearly team. I don't want to, I like Mike Zimmer as a coach, so I don't want to put too much blame at his door. But, you know, it just isn't clicking in the big games. It consistently hasn't done so. And I, if I'm a Vikings fan, I'm really disappointed to not be at least challenging for the division title come the final week of the season, considering the talent that they've got on their team. But for you, Ollie, we've talked about this Packers team who are now 12-3 and three and have a real shot at the one seed next weekend should the, uh, should the Seahawks beat the 49ers and they get a win. You've got to be feeling pretty good about this performance after we've said quite a lot of times it's a Packers team who are, don't look like being worthy of a playoff by amazingly the defense does but in the middle of the of the season it's the defense um it's ass fell away quite frankly it wasn't good enough um but against a rather inept and anemic vikings offense it looked it showed up to look really good you've got to wonder um if you go up against a team, well, we've seen it with San Francisco with um, George Kittle, but go up against a team with a really, really good receiver, wide receiver, as in, say, the New Orleans Saints, and it's Michael Thomas, I don't, I'm not sure that Green Bay can live with that. Um, the the Saints' offensive lines are really good. I think the 49ers' offensive lines are really good. And, the Vikings offensive line just wasn't at the races at all last night. Well, last night, tonight. Um, so Darius Smith had an absolute field day. He was superb. Did you see at one point he was getting oxygen on the sideline? But three and a half sacks is ridiculous. Another five tackles for loss. He had five QB hits. He had seven um, total tackles. He was an absolute wrecking ball. They couldn't deal with him going inside or outside. He was then finding the one-on-ones, which he was massively taking advantage of. It was um, it was really, really impressive stuff from him. I'm not sure how much scheming that is of Mike Pitt, Petting to get him free, get him available and open. I'm not sure. But the, the defense on the line was doing really well. And then that was backed up by, I thought Kevin King had a really, really good game. He's been picked on a bit recently. Um but it came up with an interception, a long, deep ball from Kirk Cousins. He just missed the underneath uh, safety cover, which was King coming back from, because he's normally a, a cornerback, but he was coming back helping out on safety. So things in, on defense are clicking really well. There's always that worry that it takes at least a quarter. It took a quarter and a half, maybe two, maybe a half to get the offense going. But once it did in that second half, because of how gassed the Vikings uh, defense was um, it, it started to, to hold fruit so if they win against the Detroit Lions and the Seahawks lose or sorry the Seahawks beat the 49ers somehow a team like Green Bay who I don't I still don't know how good they are will have the number one seed and it, and the Super Bowl, Super Bowl goes through or the Super, Super Bowl pathway goes through Lambeau incredible yeah well I mean if you fancy having uh, the well, likely, I would say that would mean getting the 49ers in your building uh, for divisional round weekend and another embarrassing loss in the cold of your own stadium. Then that's fine, buddy. I totally understand. <laughs> 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 that's fair. 
<laughs> Getting spicy. Uh, let's look at the other big. It's so spicy. This is just the start, isn't it? <laughs> let's get uh, let's get into the other big matchups uh, in the NFC this weekend and start off with the now number one seed San Francisco 49ers. Yes, they still need to go to Seattle this coming weekend and get a win if they're to secure that. But look, this 49ers side after the last four weeks, I have to say, you have to say, if there's one side who know what they're going to be coming up against in the playoffs, it's San Francisco. Yes, they've gone two and two over the last four weeks, and some will look at that and say that's not good form going into the playoffs. But every single one of those games since they hammered the Packers has been a tight game, decided on the final play of the game. They have been losses to, to to both the Ravens and the Falcons in games that they absolutely could have and probably should have won based on the opportunities that they had. And conversely, there was a, a win over the Rams this week when the Rams went into that fourth quarter, probably feeling pretty good about taking a scalp against San Francisco. Um, that They managed to pull it off. Fred Warner, the pick six, erasing uh, Los Angeles' first half lead. They came out in the second half, were much, much better. On the final drive of the game, um, Jimmy Garoppolo, who didn't have his best game of the season, but also you know, is by no means having a bad year. He had a few good plays, but two third and 16s on the last drive, both completed. A blown coverage on the final uh, of those to, for the big the big completion to Emmanuel Sanders to put them into field goal range. They come out 34-31. There are con- some concerns over the defence and what they will do coming into the um, coming into the, the last week of the season. But actually, they're starting to get healthy again. Richard Sherman's back. Jack Whiskey Tart is expected back. They're starting to get some of the defensive linemen back have gone down injured, which means more rotation. You saw Nick Bosa have a much, much better game this past weekend against the Rams because he was being used more situationally like he had been for the rest of the season. PFF have him down as having the most pressures of any rookie pass rusher in the history of the NFL since they started recording such things. So... You know, he's still having a really impressive year. I think they can step up when they need to in a big situation. And that could be this weekend uh, against the Seattle Seahawks, who we'll get on to their performance in a moment. But they are seriously hurt and San Francisco have to kind of fancy themselves going to Seattle come Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. Just on that Rams game. um, I don't think people, especially 49ers fans, should be too worried about how close it was and how good the Rams looked. The Rams uh, would have taken absolute hiding from Sean McVay after that, the hiding that they took in in Dallas. So they always had to come out. They always had to play really hard because it was their last shot of making the playoffs. I think pretty much. I think they're they're done now. So yeah, they um, are. I don't. I, I, they played really hard. These divisional games are always really tricksy because the the two teams know each other really well. They know the the good points and the bad points. So I wouldn't worry too much if you're a 49ers fan about that performance, on especially I, I, on defense, on offense. They looked fantastic. I also wouldn't say I would worry too much if you're a Rams fan. I still think. I mean, there's stuff to worry about as a Rams fan. Um, what they're going to do oh, with yeah. Todd Gurley in the off season? How they're going to balance the books? What's going to happen with recruitment? What's going to happen with Andrew Whitworth? Probably retires this season. They're, but their offensive line, uh, since they made the switch, we've talked about this a few times on the show. Conceded no sacks to the 49ers this past weekend. Todd Gurley was used intermittently, 15 carries, 48 yards, although did have the two scores. But Goff, 46 passes, a lot of play action, did really well to evade the uh, the 49ers pass rush. And in fact, I would say, in a, even in a loss, this was Goff's best performance of the season. Made some really good tight window throws, made some really good decisions. The Fred Warner one was not dissimilar to, to the Aaron Rodgers um, one that we saw today where he just didn't see the underneath man on a check down and and it ended up costing him in a big, big way. It was a pick six on this occasion. But outside of that one throw, he actually had a really, really good game. And I think that was down to Sean McVay's coaching. And I still think Sean McVay is a really good coach, even though there are some people ready to write off a man in his mid-30s who's already taken (laughs) his team to the Super Bowl. Absolutely bizarre. Bizarre decision from Jalen Ramsey to throw Taylor Rapp absolutely under the bus for the thrown cover for the blown coverage on the Emmanuel Sanders play that annoyed me. Ramsey just doesn't appear to be a nice human being in any way, shape, just or a rubbish form. Bloke, isn't it? Just just a rubbish, rubbish bloke. But I think it was 
one of those occasions, I don't know how much you followed the, the CJ Bethard story, um, his younger brother fatally stabbed in a uh, in a Texas bar earlier that day, like overnight on the Saturday oh. night. George Kittle was crying at the podium afterwards. He played at Iowa with CJ Bethard, so they're long-term friends, and he knew his younger brother as well, described it as the hardest you know day at work he's ever had to have because they had to kind of, yeah. you know, uh, strap on the strap on the pads and and go out there and play hard even though what they were thinking about was the their quarterback and friend and, and the situation he had so it was a very emotional win afterwards as well and it was one of those occasions which obviously you don't want to say that they want to take tragedy and turn it into inspiration but if you can win in those difficult situations, it does put you in a better position come playoff time. It does set them up for this absolutely phenomenal Sunday night game, unsurprisingly flexed into the Sunday night on um, yeah. uh, on uh, NBC for Sunday night football. But it comes after the Seattle Seahawks get absolutely shellacked at home by the Arizona Cardinals, 40, uh, 27, imagine it was 47, 27 to 13. They came out on the first on the first drive, the Seahawks, 89 yards, nine play touchdown drive, drive, and you just thought, ooh, they fancy it today. Some people were calling this a trap game with San Francisco coming up next week. That Everyone thought they were going to do it. After that first drive, they had two more field goals for the rest of the game. They just, I think they went one of 12 on third down, 13 first downs in total, just 224 yards after that first uh, drive. They really, really just disappeared on, on offense. And they've got some real problem with injuries now with, with CJ Procise done for the season, with Chris Carson done for the season, with Dwayne Brown, the left tackle, done for the season. And obviously the big news today, by the time people are listening to it, it might be confirmed, but they've already brought Robert Turbin, the guy that they drafted in the fourth round back into the building. And Marshawn Lynch has had a medical today to re-sign with the Seahawks for their postseason run. We don't know the results of that yet, if he's passed it or not, but it's looking likely he'll sign for them. They're obviously potentially decent pieces to pick up considering the injury problems you're suffering, but unless they get digs and... Uh, you know, fully, fully, unless they just get more healthy, then I think they're, they're just going to really struggle against these good teams, particularly if they have to go on the road if they don't win on Sunday. Yeah. Um, you mentioned all the injuries on offense, but on defense, they were porous. Um, I think uh, Kenyon Drake, who has had a brilliant kind of resurgence in his career after moving away from Miami who would have thought that wouldn't that <laughs> wouldn't have been a good place for talented players to play but over 168 yards on the ground and Seattle could just couldn't stop him they couldn't stop him at the goal line they couldn't stop him on on his own 10 yard line uh, he was so so good when you're giving up that amount of yards to a rusher Kyler Murray and um and uh, who was the backup to quarterback that came in when Brett Kyler Murray Hundley. Brett Hundley ex-Green Bay Brett Hundley, both of which managed to get some yards on the ground as well through scrambling. Um, you've got to worry as a Seahawks fan that, all right, you've got these injuries on on offense, but the defense has sort of crumbled, absolutely crumbled against the Arizona Cardinals. And um, I thought the Cardinals played really well. I thought Kyler Murray actually had a really good game before he went out with a ham. I think it's a hammy and we're waiting to see his injury designation. It wouldn't surprise me if they just... If even just, if he just is mothballing sort of for week seventeen, say, yeah, yeah, don't need to play. Let's roll out Brett Hundley. But yeah, as much as I want the Seahawks to win so that Green Bay clinch that that first, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, you know, although it is a Monday night, well, sorry, it is a, a prime time game, and CenturyLink will be loud and all of that. Yada yada yada. San Francisco is just a better all round team, better coach team also so i can't you can't really see anything for me anyway anything more than a, a san francisco win oh it's so exciting next week so exciting finally a game where it's all or nothing on everything 
It's amazing. Two two more things to mention with the Cardinals. Um, we've talked a lot this season about Cliff Kingsbury, and I still think that the passing game needs work in terms of scheme, but clearly the running game is working. You, you spoke about Kenyon Drake there, 100 and, uh, 166 yards on 24 carries, two touchdowns for him, including that 80-yard uh, run in the first quarter. He was brilliant. The fact that they kept playing to a decent level once Hundley came in as well and got the second touchdown yeah. for Drake with Hundley on the field just showed that when that was a moment for Seattle to be able to come back into the game um, you know th- there's only so much that the combination of Russell Wilson Tyler Lockett DK Metcalf can do um, the, uh, Tyler Lockett only had one catch on eight targets which came in the fourth quarter and Chandler Jones by the way was absolutely unbelievable the pass rusher is now yeah. leads the NFL with 19 sacks after picking up four on Sunday against Wilson just unblockable all game creating complete havoc in the Seahawks backfield that's what you need to see from San Francisco more than anything else going into Seattle this coming weekend is after a bad week for their pass rush against the Rams that they get back healthy with that and they get that rotation going that Nick Bosa was talking about and you uh, and you go out there and you and you make some plays so they're up into the one seed you've got sitting in the two seed uh, right at this point in time is the New Orleans Saints now we'll, we'll we'll talk about the Titans side of this game with Matt Sherry uh, shortly but let's just talk about the the Saints side of things 38-28 win over the Titans and for me this was this was massive from a Saints perspective because the book on Drew Brees was that this was only his second proper outdoor game in the last 12 months. They went down 14 nothing early, 14-3 with under three minutes remaining in the first half. And their next five possessions went touchdown, end of half, touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. That was the big boy pants being put on by New Orleans, 24 straight points to move to 31-21, closing out the game uh, in the end as well. Michael Thomas coming out and breaking that record and just managing to have a good-looking offense in a difficult situation against a pretty good team. I was really, really impressed with the Saints from basically the end of the first quarter upwards. Yeah, that first quarter, the offense wasn't clicking at all. And I think the the point-scoring run sort of coincided with bringing in Taysom Hill. When he's on the field, when he's on the pitch, if even if he's not involved, it's something else that the defense has to then worry about, allowing other people to be open. Jared Cook had a really good game. Michael Thomas, as you said, really good game. Alvin Kamara suddenly getting things going. He looked really tricksy on... Um, on the ground and, and decent through the air. He was making some really good blocks as well. But it's Taysom Hill is the guy that's unlocking that offense for for Sean Payton. Doing doing things as a quarterback, what, the throw that he completed, he looked, at first I thought, bloody hell, that's Drew Brees. But it wasn't because he had number seven on his, on his jersey. Uh, really good poise, great uh, ball positioning, superb, fast, fastball kind of throw um but he's also catching balls he's also he's also running as well he's such a fun player to watch and when he's is in in the game i think this new Orleans saints is probably the best offense definitely the best offense in the nfc um i'm trying to think i know you've got lamar jackson is the difference maker on the on the afc side but i think he's such a fun player to watch and you you say the the outdoor thing. If it looks likely that Green Bay and San Francisco take the one and two, not in that way round, um, then if they make it through the the divisional game, they, he's going to have to go to either Lambeau or um, or or bloody San Francisco to to try and sort it out. So it's good that he's got this outside game off his off his uh, off his back, but. It's going to be far, far different against very good defences in cold environments, especially up north. Um, and I said, we'll talk Tennessee properly shortly, but I think they made a decision with someone like uh, Derek Henry to sit in with the hamstring injury with an eye on the fact that they knew they could lose this game, win in Houston and still make the playoffs, essentially saving him for yeah. week 17. Um 
that's the one thing we didn't see was just how much the the loss of of Davenport and rankings on that defensive line uh, it will cost them against good run games and it's another reason why they could really do with a bye week whilst those guys aren't going to necessarily be back just to get themselves healthy get themselves up practice they only get a bye week if one of Green Bay or the 49ers lose and they do get a win this coming weekend but Really impressive, particularly offensively from the Saints, and they keep on rolling right now. Um, The other game that we need to talk about in terms of the NSC playoff picture is the from the division of disgrace. And let's be honest, this game turned into an absolute mess pretty early on. Um, The Eagles came out pretty hot in the first quarter and uh, looked really, really impressive, but there was about two and a half quarters of this game where it really just fell apart. They broke through late on um, with that big play to Greg Ward, who has been so impressive. The quarterback turned wide out over the last few weeks. Miles Sanders with the one-yard touchdown run. He's looked great as well and looked really good again in this game and kind of the difference between these two teams. But there was a good two and a half quarter stretch where these two teams were just trading failed first down conversions, trading punts. It was a really, really ugly game for a while. I think the difference for me is that the Eagles have had Sanders step up. They've had Ward step up. They've had Dallas Goddard step up in a big way after Zach Ertz, who broke his ribs in this game on Sunday night and had an absolutely huge game. Nine receptions, 91 yards and a touchdown. Uh, A couple of those grabs extended possessions with a fresh set of downs when they were clinging on to that eight point lead late in the game. Yeah, that's been the difference is that it was a it was a really decent game, particularly late on from Carson Wentz. And they've had players step into those voids finally after weeks and weeks of us saying they've got nothing on the offensive side. The Cowboys, you know, after showing us a glimpse of, of what they could have been when they dominated the Rams last week, couldn't have fallen down to earth harder. It was an ugly, ugly performance. They're a dumpster fire, aren't they? Um, How, just, like, why, what is it mentally about this team that means that every time, particularly in the Garrett era, but over the last 15 years, seemingly, every time they have a good season, a winning record, a playoff season, and they look set up for next year to go on a big run, they drop a bollock every single time. And I joked about it going into this year. I joked on our preview podcast saying, oh, they'll go uh, they'll go seven and nine or something because they played well last year, so they can't have two good seasons in a row. I was genuinely mm-hmm. joking because of how much talent was on this team. I could not see that happening. And somehow it's managed to happen again. It's, it's incredible, isn't it? And there are also, it seems like, problems within the camp. Uh, Amari Cooper was a... a, a, a was a, a non-factor really I know he had four catches but he was more of a non-factor and in cru- crucial moments he told reporters after the game that he was taken out of the game so he wasn't even on the field when you'd the, expect the, him to be so for the fourth down at the end of the game both Amari Cooper and Randall Cobb were off the field they targeted Gallup on the play Sidney Jones and this is the thing for me from an Eagles perspective, Sidney Jones is their fourth or fifth string quarter, cornerback. He's a guy they don't want to have out on the field. And yet he makes that big play at the end. And the Cowboys just, despite the fact the Eagles had a number of big injuries in that defensive backfield in this game, more injury woes for the Eagles. The Cowboys just couldn't capitalize on it. The play calling wasn't there. Dak Prescott looked off. I know he came in with a shoulder injury, but he did not have a good game by any stretch of the imagination. They didn't use Ezekiel Elliott anywhere near enough. All of it went wrong. Yeah, and isn't it great to see? Sorry, all of our <laughs> Cowboys listeners, Cowboy <laughs> fans listeners. It's nasty. It is great. It's great to see, but incredibly, if the Giants win against the Eagles, which they could very well do, if Eli Manning farewell game potentially, um, if they win against the Eagles and then Dallas beat Washington, Dallas then make it through to the playoffs. So they're still not toast. They're still not done, which is amazing to think, given how literally uh, disgraceful some of their performances have been and their record is would then be eight and eight and bang average dreadful dreadful division dreadful i'd rip it up rip it up and give (laughs) get notre dame in there (laughs) oh good and yet and yet two teams from this division had an absolute barnstormer on sunday 
the best game, one of the best games of the weekend. So the New York Giants, 41 to 35 win over Washington in overtime. Daniel Jones, 350 plus yards in a game, plus five touchdowns. Only the second quarterback since 1950 to manage that stat in his rookie season. Uh, the other being Matthew Stafford, just in case you wanted to know. Um, uh, you know, absolute barnstormer there going to overtime. There was an absolute barnstormer in the Dolphins game in that one with the Bengals that went to overtime. Just showed you, never write off a game in the NFL. Like, these teams want to win. They want to be well coached. They want to fight. They want to play. There's reasons to enjoy and watch almost every single game. Even if you do get some duffers, there's still that chance that a terrible game is going to show out to be a good game. Absolutely. Never write off week 16 in the NFL. But Saquon Barkley was uh, was so, so good. 90 yards through the air, 188 on the ground, 189 on the ground. And this game, I quite like little quirky things in, in that Giants-Washington game. Three quarterbacks, because Dwayne Haskins went out injured, had passer ratings of over 100, which is brilliant. Love stuff like <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the small football geek in me coming out there. There's, there's other stuff we could talk about from the NFC side of things from this weekend. Uh, what the Bears' demoralising loss to the Chiefs means for them and Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, you know, Jameis Winston reverting to turnover Jameis uh, this weekend. There, there's other stuff in there, but I think we can save all of that for after the Super Bowl, for the next week, yeah. for when coaches start getting sacked on Black Monday. There's lots of that in there. What we do need to do, just before we hand over to myself and Matt Sherry for the AFC side of things, is say that I said that by the time this podcast came out, it would have already happened. Well, it happened whilst we were talking. Marshall Lynch wow. has signed a one-year deal with the Seattle Seahawks. His agent has confirmed it. He has turned up there to fill the void uh, the, uh, of the rash of injuries, uh, including that season-ending hip fracture for Chris Carson, who was rushing, who had rushed for twelve hundred yards plus this season already. Um, they've lost CJ Procise as well. Uh, so yeah. Uh, Marshawn Lynch is in Seattle after his couple of seasons in the Oakland Raiders. Six games, 90 rushes, 376 yards and three touchdowns in 2018. 33 years old. The, the question is, is how healthy is he going to be? How quickly is he going to acclimatize? And will he be ready to go against the 49ers on Sunday? It's going to be pretty fascinating to watch. Just another string to add to how fascinating this Week 17 bow is going to be. Just amazing. When was the last time he played? Was it the end of last year? Yeah. Just, he's been out, out for most of the year. Incredible stuff. Incredible. Like, I can't get, I can't get my head around it. On a day that uh, um, Marshawn Lynch is, a tra- is brought back into the NFL, London-born's JHI has fallen out of it again. Bad luck, buddy. There you go. Maybe they could have ended up snapping him up when he got cut, but they didn't. Beast Mode is back. Uh, right, they will take a little break, and then myself and Matt Sherry will pick up with the AFC. Ollie, Merry Christmas, buddy. I'll speak to you later this week, but I'll see you again in 2020. Yes, you will. Happy Christmas, bro. Ramble Daily, where we'll be covering all of your horse needs. And there's more. Every day during the Cheltenham Festival, Betway are giving you the chance to win £50,000 in the free-to-play for-to-win game. Head to betway.com to play now. Up next, more horses. Horse, horse, horse. Horse, horse, horse. Horse, horse, horse. Full terms apply. 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. You're listening to The Gridiron Show, Will Gavin, and now the voice alongside me has magically transformed into one far more northern. It's the lovely Matthew Sherry. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. How are you? Uh, groggy after only having about three hours sleep and then coming back to this little recording station I've got set up in my front room, but... Uh, oh, yeah, I sank a <laughs> bottle and a half of wine last night, so I'm also groggy. You sank a bottle and a half of wine last night while you've got to do all the prep for your Christmas meal, for which you sent me your homemade minute-by-minute instructions for tomorrow that are absolutely ridiculous. Well, why are they ridiculous? Because, as discussed via WhatsApp, you just give yourself no leeway for if, you know, the bird is 
slightly yeah, denser or takes longer to cook than you're expecting and then you've just got it there's no breathing room in there there's, there, there is there's leeway built into all those diamonds uh, so it doesn't appear the, so and that's not what you said last night you said if you follow it by the minute you'll reach perfection <laughs> yeah well you will but ultimately if you there's you know for example a tag you made it for three and a half hours you know, it comes out at the point where it's completely done. So that could be after three hours, and when it does, it clears oven space. Everything moves up a little bit potentially. We've also got a, a heated, uh, movable kind of cupboard that the, the name of which is just escaping me. Uh, <laughs> whereby we can cook things earlier if we want to, put them in there, and it'll stay warm for the day. Uh, heated movable cupboard. Uh, I just, I, I just said you've got to accept the variables to ach- variables to achieve perfection, and you didn't respond to that. But clearly, you have taken that into account. So I bow to it. It is pretty good. Um, uh, right. So let's get into the AFC side of things. We've talked plenty about the uh, about the NFC. We can we start. We do, we'll do it the way we did it with the NFC. Although we started with uh, with Green Bay, obviously because it was last night. Uh, working our way from top to bottom, um, I don't think there's a huge amount left to say about the Ravens at this point. Is there? Uh, Thirty-one to fifteen win over the Cleveland Browns. Other than they started slowly, and some people went, "Oh, oh, have Cleveland got their number?" And then they decimated them in the second half. Yeah, I mean, the question in the whole AFC and potentially the whole playoff race is can anybody beat the Ravens, isn't it? I mean, they've, they've not lost for for so many weeks now. They've beaten a, a ton of playoff teams in that time. Um, yeah, I mean, they just look very, very difficult to beat. Um, they, they've got an interesting decision they've made this week. I mean, they're essentially giving their players a fortnight off. Um, I can almost see the argument for the buy teams to play their starters as opposed to not because I can think of a few examples of teams looking significantly undercooked for for divisional weekend after they give the players two weeks off. So I think that's something that they've got to manage, but I mean, you know, a lovely problem to have. I mean, it's very much first world problems, isn't it? Yeah, this idea of the week off, two weeks off thing is something I got into it with, on Twitter with a few people over the Texans decision uh, that they've made for this coming weekend. I mean, it's very difficult to kind of talk about these one by one without talking about what the implications are overall because uh, the NFL have moved all of these games into that same 925 window, all of the ones that can affect the four possible teams that can still finish uh, in that sixth seed position as it is now, or the three teams, sorry, but the four teams who have relevancy to it because the Colts still do, even though they can't sneak in there. Um, but the, the the Houston Texans are, are basically pretty much already locked into the fourth seed. There are scenarios that they can sneak above Kansas City, but it takes a lot going in their, in their direction to make that happen. And so the, the, the question mark over whether or not they should rest players or not for me, comes down to the fact that they're definitely going to be playing one week later, so it's only a week off. These are professional athletes who already know what it is to have a bye week. And this idea of momentum, look, if you've gone and you've put the backups out there and they've lost, and then they can't get themselves back up for a home playoff game the following week, you've got to question the fragility of the mentality of those teams. The Texans, more than any other team, should be resting their starters. I mean... For one, you're going against a team who are a really physical, nasty team to play against. Two, that physical and nasty team is desperately fighting for a playoff place themselves. And three, Deshaun Watson looked jaded at best at the end of that Buccaneers game. And has taken a lot of hits, was limping around a little bit at the end. I mean, the Texans, for me, it should be a no-brainer the rest of the moment. The problem for the Ravens is that you're going to have players having literally three weeks without a game now that is a lot and, and as I say I, you know the, the year that the Packers went 15-1 and one, um, it, they were beaten by the Giants at home in divisional weekend and looked totally undercooked um, I, I think a couple of times it happened with the with the Peyton Mine Colts um, I'm trying to think if it's happened with the Patriots I mean the Patriots as a general rule have played their players in week 17 because They've been fighting for kind of that swing battle between the first and the second scene and things like that. But and obviously, I think they'll play their starters this week because they needed to need a win to guarantee the two seed, albeit against Miami. Maybe they play the first half. But I think it's I think for the, for those teams with buys, I think it makes sense 
to try and give them a little bit of action. But I can see the argument both ways because if, if Jackson gets injured, that's that's it, isn't it, for the Ravens? So that that's the worry, I guess. Yeah, and, and I think the, the difference with Houston as well is, uh, firstly, you have to say Bill O'Brien did leave it quite open. He suggested that the starters were going to start, but he never at any point said, you know, that they're playing the whole game or anything like that. And actually, an argument I saw for what he said in the press conference that makes sense to me and, and something that I had kind of half argued to get to that point is that it's different to a bye week because a bye week you go off and you do your own thing for a few days and you you're not in the building you're not studying tape you're not actually still going through drills you know you're not staying necessarily in in contact with the 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 rest of the team and the you know you have to have a certain amount of time away and stuff during the bye week actually you are still preparing for a game and actually he can prepare his starters so that they are still mentally ready to go and then play them for the first quarter and go right no more because actually it's the Texans and you've said it the depth on that team there are probably four or five players that they could lose and you're then going well they've got no chance at the Super Bowl now not just the quarterback the, um, I mean and not all teams are created equal I mean even if New England were guaranteed the two seed I, I think they'd think about it just because they need reps on offense you know there was a lot of really good signs that we'll get onto in a bit in that Buffalo game but we saw at the end of um, the well, Cincinnati game. Let's uh, let's not get on to a bit of it. Let's talk about that game now because I actually because yeah. because even though we're talking about them potentially still needing those reps on offense, I also think that it, it, you know this weekend a win for them is absolutely vital because I think there's no team who need the bye week more yeah. than they right now. Maybe the Seahawks, but there's no other team health wise who could do with it more. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, and, they're, and they're an old team as well. I mean, I've said that a few times this season. You know, they brought all those guys back essentially to have one more run at it to try and win again. And and, and they're just an older team. I mean, McCarty's old and makes the worst play of his season in, in the game just gone. Um, you know, all around that roster, there are players who are, are either in their 30s or are encroaching upon that territory. So, so yeah, they do need it, but as I say, they also need the reps because the the offense is getting there. I think. Uh, the, I mean, I thought the offense looked better than it's looked all season against a, an outstanding Bills defense. I mean, they, they put twenty four points on them without turning them over. I think the Bills have, have given up more than twenty four points once all season, and and I think we'd say that was less points than they could have had. You know, the the Burkhead fumble. The, there was a, a fourth and one play in the in the first half as well. I mean, they could have easily been thirty points, and that. Based on what the Patriots' offenses looked like against bad defenses the last few weeks, was a was a real surprise. Um, I think that if if the offense looks like it did against the Bills, that then you know it's a it's the the NFL fan outside of New England's worst nightmare coming to fruition again because their defenses look great all season. It continues to look so. They get healthy, or or they have that bye week on for those older defensive players, and I, and I think they are right there with the Ravens and the Chiefs is a, is a terrifying proposition. And and ultimately, I'm glad I'm talking about the AFC because I just think it's a lot more interesting than the NFC. Um, I'm, I'm at the point now where I think the AFC is a, is a much stronger conference this year. Um, and if you look at, if the Titans do win, I think if you look at the one to six of the AFC, it's a lot stronger than the than the one to six of the NFC. Have you have you watched Green Bay back from last night yet? I've watched the, the majority of it, yeah. I mean, it confirms that, you know, the Vikings are not going to win big playoff games with with Kirk Cousins. Um, it does that, but it also I I think and and I know we're now retreading some NFC stuff, but I, I think it was the best Green Bay performance we've seen yeah. since the first couple of weeks of the season. I think, I, think which... I said the the Carolina game. I'd said in the video review after the game that if the Packers can get that formula working of their defense playing like it did at the start of the season. And Aaron Jones leading the running game. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is a completely complimentary piece now to, to that to that Packers team with the way they've won this year. I mean, that that needs to be accepted. I, I thought Rodgers had one of his poorest games of the season. Oh, I mean, don't even. On- they they like honestly, they should have been 
two touchdowns up at yeah. half time of that game. They were down okay. 10-9 against a team that they'd absolutely dominated. And Simon Clancy was making excuses about turnovers, etc. because his boy Aaron Rodgers wasn't yeah, doing I mean, his job. It was it was the throw for Devontae Adams for the touchdown. Maybe Adams could have held on to that. You know, you'd say Michael Thomas probably would have done. You'd say DeAndre Hopkins probably would have done. We started talking about a game we've already talked about. Let's not. Let, uh, the reason I... Yeah, the, I, the reason I, I agree. I, I mean, I, 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 but the Packers are going to have a, a bye now, aren't they? The, the problem for them is that if it's the two seed, which it will be if the 49ers beat Seattle, they're almost certainly going to play the Saints in in the divisional round and, and they'll lose. I mean, that's 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 if, what if, I think will happen. If the 49ers and the Saints both win this weekend, I think that it's... Uh, I think that Green Bay stay outside of the three. That yeah, was... great. Green Bay are, in the, uh, are the two seed at the moment. Oh, right. No, there you go then. Uh, uh, oh, that's it. They can get in the one seed if Seattle win. Um that's, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. I remember now. I, I, I not very much sleep. Um, when talking about the Patriots, you, you're right. It was their best um, performance. I think it was the fact they outgained Buffalo on the ground, and it was that kind of efficiency. You saw Josh Allen struggle on third down in this game, which was just something that Tom Brady wasn't doing, which has had problems with earlier this season. You mentioned Rex Burkhead. I thought, you know. Uh, it's exactly what they needed was somebody to step up and say, and, uh, Mich- 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 I'm going to be really one. Well as well. um, Michelle had a great game. I mean, the, the key for me the last two weeks is that Shaq Mason looks healthier than he has all season. And that makes a huge difference to their running game because he is he is arguably the best guard in, in the league. Um, he's certainly in that conversation. And more importantly, he is the most athletic guard in the league. And when they get him... At the second level, their running game just looks completely different. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the signs are good for the Patriots now. Uh, this is kind of what this is why I've been so unwilling to just completely write them off because I, I watched this happen last season, where the last couple of weeks of the year, and it feels like to me, you know, I always used to talk on this show about the first four games being experiment time for them. It feels like to me that it's it, it's extrapolating that out until. The, the, the end reaches of the regular season, the last two or three years. I mean, they, they just try a load of things out and then, you know, that week 13, week 14 hits and they're locked down on, this is what we are, this is what we're good at, this is what we're going to build around moving forward. And, and, and yeah, they're a scary, they, they are a scary proposition. If they, if they run the ball like that, then, then they're difficult to beat. And also, I think most importantly, Tom Brady looked better than he's looked for six, yeah. seven weeks. Yeah. He's had the elbow problem which I think has been the root of a lot of things. I don't think it's fallen off a cliff, unless you want to say that, you know, the elbow problem happens because he's 42, which there is certainly an argument for. But just the way he was snapping through his throws and getting right through the follow-through was different to the week before. And and it was easily his best performance of the season. He looked really accurate, very on point. Um, but yeah, I mean, the one guy the period should hold out this week, if in my opinion, is Edelman, because he is essentially playing on one leg and still playing very well, but he could do with three weeks rest, I think. Um, on, just on to the other side of the ball in that game, because you were playing another playoff team in the Buffalo Bills. There was nothing about this performance outside of those those Allen third down issues, which said to me, um, and, and the, the fact that the Patriots really stood up well against their run game, um, single tree, just 46 yards on, on 15 carries. You know, there was still a lot about this game, which said... Neither the Chiefs or the Texans are going to be happy with them coming into their building. And that's with the fact that in mind that I'm about to say, wow, the Chiefs run over the last six or seven weeks has been impressive, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, the Bills, are, the Bills are, a, are a horrible team to face in the playoffs because they will invariably keep the game close just because they're so good on defence and so sound. Um, and Josh Allen will make two or three players a game. I mean, that's what happened in this game. The Patriots dominated down to down, but a couple of big players. And the, the other thing on health, by the way, on New England is Jason McCarty and Jonathan Jones were out in this game. They're, they're only two guys who can play slot corner, which explains why Cole Beasley had such a big day, but they need them healthy as well. But, I mean, the Chiefs, I mean, it, it's almost slept on how good their defence looks. Their, mm-hmm. their defence looks outstanding. I mean... 9.6 points per game over the last six weeks. Admittedly, that's been against, you know, they have had t- people like Trubisky, uh, Bronco, the Broncos, the Patriots, who, you know, we're saying was much more efficient this week, but haven't been a great offence. But even yeah. so, to hold 
uh, so many teams to and and they're seven and one away from home this season. They only lost yeah. that bizarre. 35-32 with that weird fourth quarter against the Titans, you know. They, they are a team who are ready for playoff football and kind of feel like they're peaking yeah. at the right time. The, the irony is that the, the bit of the Chiefs I worry about is their offence. I mean, because I, I just see it gets stagnant at times in games in a way it never last season. Now, I don't know how to explain that. I don't know whether it's Mahomes isn't 100%. I don't think Mahomes is 100% um, or, or what it is, really. Um, but if their offense was playing to the efficiency level it was this time last year, they would be absolute favorites for the I, Super Bowl I, I, for me. I think what I would say about the last two weeks, you know, the Broncos game, obviously in the snow, they Mahomes himself was moving the ball like he was playing in you know October in Miami. Yeah, not like he was in the snow. There were some issues with with other parts of the offense in that snow. Um, and then this week, honestly, against the Bears in the second half, they were just like, oh, this isn't really like a professional yeah, football team. It. Let's yeah. not let's not worry too much. So yeah. uh, you felt like they could have this past Sunday gone and put 40 45 points on them without too much more effort than they actually put in but they did feel like they went right let's have some long seven eight and a half minute drives and you also have to build into the fact of that game that the Bears had one drive in this game eight and a half minutes where you were going this is it you figured out a formula and then they came away from it with no points yeah exactly the um I think the big difference with the Chiefs this year which you know, not enough people mention is the fact that, you know, they've gone from Bob Sutton, who was incompetent in big games, to Spanks, who is a great defensive coordinator. I mean, he's one of those guys that there's always a handful of guys who I could look at around the NFL who don't have jobs, who I would say immediately are better coordinators than lots of guys who do. I mean, Eric Mangini is another great example, too. I think it was last with the 49ers, wasn't he, with mm-hmm. you guys? And, and, for some reason, has never got a job since then, despite doing a good job with a very undermanned unit. And 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 Spagnuolo's the same thing. I mean, he's just he's got a great track record as a defensive coordinator wherever he's been. And and it took them a while at the start of the season to round that together, but he's figured out the pieces that he's got. It's obviously built around Tyron Matthew, who's been outstanding the last kind of seven eight weeks of the season. And and I think the Chiefs are a terrifying proposition. I mean, I'm I'm desperate for them to lose a game. Because I'm, I really want... My dream scenario is to watch in the playoffs Lamar against Mahomes in the divisional round and then the winner of that against New England. I would love it to be the Ravens because I really want to see Belichick scheme against Lamar again. Mm-hmm. But I'm not convinced we're going to get that. I, I genuinely... I, could, I think right now if I was picking the AFC, um, I would pick the Chiefs to get to the Super Bowl because uh, I, I think they'll, I think they could go in and beat New England again in the divisional round and I, and I, I think they could beat the Ravens as well yeah, I mean yeah. I, I, I think they're a really bad matchup for the Ravens mm-hmm. in particular um, like I could see a scenario where the Patriots beat the Chiefs but where if had it gone the other way the Chiefs would have beat the Ravens if that makes sense and the Patriots lose the match because it's matchups isn't it but I think the Chiefs are are a scary, scary proposition. And if it, what you've just made a good point there on their on their offense, if their offense really does click into gear again, then watch out because they are they're not a fun team for anybody to face. The um, on the Bob Sutton point and versus Steve Spagnuolo point, just uh, quickly while we're on it, uh, Chris Jones. We we had the game on Talksport Two on Sunday, and Chris Jones was who they got for the interview post game, uh, like live on the broadcast. And they asked him about the fact that you know everyone's been talking about Pat Mahomes for the past two years. Is it nice to have some focus on the defense? And the first thing he said was, "Look." Bob Sutton was great for pass rushers. He was great for us because his whole defense was built on us going after the quarterback. And so we had great fun, but there's a much, much better balance. Now Steve Spagnuolo is calling a much better defense. Like he just outright said it, that it's because of the coordinator that we are playing better, that there's not that much more talent there. Um, But but then they have added Suggs who, what played 17 of of 59 snaps cycled in and out and, uh, and complimented the pass rush perfectly having only been in the building for three days. So you're like, Oh, that's a bit worrying, isn't it? Um, I'm with you. I think the, uh, I like the Chiefs on the road against either the Patriots the, or the, the Ravians. The difficulty for the Ravians? Chiefs is, is Who are the, the Ravians? <laughs> the difficulty for the Chiefs is obviously the, the three games. And and as I said, if the Titans win, I mean, nobody wants to face Tennessee. No, and, they're, they're, they're the kind of team that, again, if you look at the matchup, 
the way I would beat the Chiefs is to completely try and limit their possessions. And, you know, their defence has been really good, but can their defence hold up on third and twos repeatedly? Because that's what the t- Titans are going to put you in. They're, and and that, that's the kind of formula I would see to beat them. Um, I, I'm convinced with the Titans this past weekend. They took that 14 nothing lead early. We're, we're still winning 14-3 with, with less than three minutes left of the first half. There were a couple of players who, Derek Henry being the key one, ready for some Derek Henry compliments from Will Gavin, um, who I think against that banged-up Norlin Saints front and uh, and front seven would have been able to have helped them control the game more, which is something they didn't do enough in the first half and let the Saints back in the door. Um, they, I think they've made a decision. Looking at what they're looking at this week, they went, right, Essentially, let's rest a couple of players this week, knowing that the key is beat the Texans. That's the key to this. Yeah, but then that was would have been predicated on. I mean, they couldn't have predicted the Jets beating the Steelers, could they? Yeah, I no, mean, no, the no, Rolls no. were hosed at the end the, of the, the game. Point I was, mean, they were robbed. The point was, and and they were, and we'll get to that in a moment. But the point was, they knew that looking at the two games, it was always essentially beat the Texans and the Steelers have to lose once. They they were never if they won twice and the Steelers won twice, they were screwed anyway. So. They um yeah, so so they looked at this Texans game and went, that's the one we need to win. And now they know that there's a chance the Texans might have a foot off the gas as well. Um, yeah. I, but I thought that, you know, obviously the 10 the point differential between these two teams does is overly complimentary on the Saints because of a play that we didn't get to talk about earlier because I stopped Ollie doing it. Um, I think we have to find a way in the NFL to have a review or a rule that states that if it's very, it's clear and obvious that a fumble is because a player was knocked out, even if it was a clean hit, but they were knocked out because there was helmet contact, that you have to say that you know the ball is dead the moment that they're hit in the head or something yeah, like and, that. Yeah, I, I don't even think it has to be that complicated. I, I think if a player gets reviewed and that shows up something different to what is being reviewed that affects the player, then they should be able to overturn it. Like I'm gonna, the example I'm going to use is just saying cricket, right? Just say a guy's been given out LBW and he's 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 just say the ball's seamed out, hit the outside edge, it's hit his pad and he's been given out LBW and he reviews it because he knows he's hit it. But then the DRS shows up that it it did hit the edge of his bat, but then the ball looped from his pad and was caught by a fielder. He would still be given out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He would be given out court. So I don't really understand why in the NFL you can't review a play and say, well, yeah, we think he had control and possession there, but actually, looking at the play again, it was a helmet shot by the defender, so it should be a 15-yard penalty. I mean, and it's just common sense, isn't it? It's it's getting to the right outcome. I, I don't see what the issue with that is. And, and, and also, I, even if it wasn't a helmet shot, I absolutely hate the play where a guy gets knocked out cold, fumbles, and the and the the the, def, the defensive team can just scoop it up and and take it the other way. I hate that play. I mean, it's just because it, you know, for me, a fumble or, or anything like that. I get I get that it's part of the game, but a fumble or anything like that, you know, the, it's punishment for a bad play. Well, if a guy gets knocked out in the midst of the play, then it's not a bad play, is it? He's just. It's just unfortunate, and, and it's a horrible thing. But that's more. There's no way you can fix that, but you can certainly fix the the idea of being able to review that play, saying it's a 15 yard penalty for the for the helmet shot, and giving Tennessee the ball 15 yards down the field. I, I, I just think it's common sense. I mean, there's not a lot of common sense in in NFL officiating. I, I agree, I, as we all know, but. It's a, it's a, it would be a frustrating one for me if I was a Titans fan. That's for certain. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and my point about it was that that play, if we're speaking specifically about that play on Sunday, then that was a play that on review should have been just said. Well, that's a, that's a penalty anyway. But my yeah. point is, if a guy comes in without lowering his head and it ends up being a shoulder that makes contact with the helmet, but the guy is out cold straight away, that those are the ones where I just look at it and I say there must be some way to say. We all can see from the replay that the reason the ball is out of that guy's hand is because he is unconscious. Yeah. Like, I, I, maybe there'll be teams who turn around and say it's unfair, but there are sometimes decisions like that. You know, we take, um, we never talked about it hugely last weekend, the, uh, the Rams-Cowboys game with the, the coin toss. Take something like that where actually if it had been a yeah. tighter game at halftime, 
you'd say, well, if they don't, if they don't overturn this, the Cowboys are going to be annoyed because he did clearly say defer after they'd been checked with. But then the Rams had every right to be annoyed it was turned over because they were told as they came out after the half. It's one of those decisions that somebody's yeah. going to feel wronged either way. Yeah. That decision, someone's going to feel wronged either way because they're going to say it was a clean hit. But they're just going to have to turn around and say, you know, protection, that's what it's all about, player health, and nobody can actually argue with that. Yeah. It remi- I mean, the reality is as well, that if, but even just in, initiating the, the, the change I've just said would fix most of those players because if you get knocked out, as a general rule, it's because you've been hitting the helmet. I mean, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and that is a, that in most circumstances now is an illegal hit. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I just think doing that common sense approach would solve a lot of those players in any case. Now, um, the Pittsburgh Steelers, you did mention, who um, lost control of that sixth seed on Sunday with yeah. the 16-10 loss in New York. We said if there was one game that was, was going to prove to be the spoiler for anyone sat in the playoff positions. It felt like this one. Um we had uh, uh, the, the kind of the sw- swapping in and out of Duck Hodges being dropped because he was playing poorly. Then Mason Rudolph getting injured, so having to return. Uh, Duck Hodges fumbling a snap and then uh, just kind of chucking it errantly down the middle on that last play uh, afterwards. It, it, it became increasingly clear that you can have as great a defence if you want, but when you play a, a good defence on the other side of the ball they don't have enough on that offence, even with Juju Smith-Schuster back and making a couple of great plays in this game. No, not at all. I mean, the, the whole football world should be rejoicing that the Steelers lost, except for Steelers fans, because they're just not a playoff team. I mean, they're not they're not good enough. You, you, you've got to hope Tennessee win this week, because they're not good enough to give you an interesting game. I mean, the Steelers get in, and they're guaranteed to be that ESPN Saturday wildcard time slot, because they're just... They're just garbage. I'm, I'm, know, I'm in the air offense. during that time slot, and if the Steelers are in it, I'm not sad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, and and the other element is that um, you've got to feel sorry for Pittsburgh fans. I mean, they, you've, they've watched that team for the last five, six years have certainly the most talented offense in football. You know, the, the triplets, the modern-day triplets in Bell Brown and, and Ben, the killer bees, and... And then this season where they finally have the defence come together, look at the situation. And then even last season, I mean, you know, because the, the defence was, was coming around. It wasn't quite as good as this year's unit, but it was still really good last season. And you look at, you know, the dysfunction from Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell holding out the whole year. I mean, you look at this whole era of Steelers football, and Mike Tomlin's actually shown, you know, some his good coaching attributes this year. And it just feels like, how many missed opportunities for the Steelers? Oh. Just, if, you, if you had this defence with the offence of three years ago, you have an absolutely loaded team. And there's no reason you couldn't either because it's not like they're spending huge money yet on the defence. It's just been some really good drafting. Um, yeah, it's just it's a real frustration the way it's come together the last few years for the Steelers. Now, the one thing I'll contest from something you said earlier was about how the AFC are clearly the stronger of the two if you go top to bottom. I, my argument against that is that uh, you know, we've talked about the Eagles rounding into shape at the right time with Ollie already, the Seahawks being, if they get healthy, a very good team. I don't think that you could argue that a conference where we might have a four-way tie at eight and eight to see who the sixth seed are, and in that situation, it would be the Oakland Raiders who managed to sneak in as the stronger of the two conferences. I mean, me, me six is predicated on the Titans, who I think yeah. are a really good team getting in. You know, they were, I think they were two and four at the point Mariota went out. Um, their, their record under Tannehill has been has been outstanding, um, and even you know as we've said that that was an unfortunate loss this week. So it was worse yeah, than that. They is, were they were two and five because he's only lost two games. Tannehill. He's lost three now, hasn't he? Oh, he's was lost, this the third he, this weekend? Yeah, right, lost, okay, yeah, yeah. One, yeah. Two and four, um, yeah, you're right. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I just think if they're the sixth seed, it's a really strong top to bottom. Um, you know, the, different styles as well. I mean, the Bills completely w- winning on defence. The Titans are very balanced. You know, the Ravens' best offence in football, but also a very good defence. I mean, they're the most balanced. Then the Patriots, great defence, not as good on offence by any means. The Chiefs, more balanced now, but we still view them as an offensive team. You know, I just think that that mix. And it makes interesting games. Like, I think Buffalo will beat Houston, for example. I mean, we'll get onto that down the line, but... There are some there are some fascinating matchups and and yeah I just think the AFC is 
after being criticised heavily in recent years, is a lot stronger. And I mean, the irony is, it is criticised heavily the AFC, but they've they've dominated the Super Bowls as well the last few years. I mean, obviously the Patriots are a big reason for that winning three, but Denver in the middle of that as well. You know, who were the last two NFC winners? <laughs> the Eagles and the Seahawks. Yeah, there, there was a uh, there was a conversation I was having with a Patriots fan who was saying, uh, "You're just saying that you you know." It's a shame that the Chiefs aren't in the two seed because you hate the Patriots. And and I turned around and went, look, boo-hoo, boo-hoo, woe is me for getting to go and cover Super Bowls. But at the same time, I've done uh, five or six now, whatever it is. And I've seen the Eagles, the Falcons, the Rams, the Panthers and the... Come on, Sherry. Seahawks. And the Seahawks. And I've seen the Patriots and the Patriots and the Broncos and the Patriots and the Patriots. So. Yeah, I mean, that's it. I've done six and I think the Patriots have been at four. Yep. And then the Broncos, the other two. So in the AFC, I've only ever seen the the Broncos and the Patriots. So, you know, that's 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 always my argument at the end of the season I, I, for I'm, why... I'm, I'm very much relaxed about the whole thing now. Like, six to me was... I, I wondered... I thought that the Patriots, because of how good they've been, deserved to be a decent way ahead of the competition in terms of being the greatest team in NFL history. And six for me tipped them over the edge on that where it was really, you know, you couldn't argue it. So I'm, I I mean, you know, Will, from talking to me in the group, I'm just completely in the camp of giving me the best playoff race possible, the best games, and that's all I really care about. The uh, win seventh, I great. Do- I'll be nervous when the stands watching it in the... In, in the uh, auxiliary press box again if the periods are there but it, it, if not I can live with it and, and I'm very very satisfied and happy as as any periods fan should be and honestly outside of my usual bugbear about the seeding versus the, the division leaders you know because of the uh, crap show that is the NFC East. Outside of that, I think we've got an amazing January lined up. So Merry Christmas, everyone. Ha- enjoy the next couple of days. Uh, hopefully you've been listening you know, as you're driving home, getting your last minute shopping done. Um, have a great couple of days off where you don't have to think about football. Hopefully Santa brings you all the NFL-related garb that you could possibly want. And uh, we'll be back towards the end of the week to preview Week 17. Sherry. You get the delight of me asking you any final thoughts this week. No, I'd like... No, just my final thoughts are enjoy this period for everyone. Because, you know, Christmas to me, since I became a big football fan, has been largely... I've got a child running in now. Has become... (laughs) As much much about Christmas with the three-year-old who's unbelievably excited, it's become about the games and the football. And watch the college games. I mean, college football around New Year with the playoff... And some of the bigger ball games is is amazing, and you know everybody's sat on the couch anyway, so make sure to tune into those as well. Oh, I am excited about those playoffs! Uh, brilliant stuff, Sherry. Thank you very much. Thank you to everyone that's been listening. I know we've run a bit long this week, but it was a brilliant week of football. Um, thank you for listening. This has been the Gridiron Show. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Fill the trolley with your favourite brands on rollback at Asda. A 38-pack of Fairy Non-Bio Capsules was £8.50, now £5.75. And Lenore Gold Fabric Conditioner was £4, now £2.50. Big brands, small prices. Don't compromise. Asda. Save money, live better. Selected stores subject to availability. Lenore, 1.925 litres. Ends 18th of March.